ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Dr. Miriam Gunta. She's an assistant professor of marketing at the University of Liverpool in the UK. And her research at the interface of marketing and finance seeks to shed light on how marketing drives company value. Our conversation today focuses on the financial effects of improving customer satisfaction. Miriam, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Customer satisfaction is essential to retaining current customers and obtaining new ones. And it's a critical component of success. And it's often taken as gospel that improving customer satisfaction is a goal with reliable payoffs. And so we have this existing assumption. But in your paper, you point out that improvements in customer satisfaction have variable financial benefits. And that the purpose of your research was to explain and understand why the benefits of consumer satisfaction efforts had these variable financial benefits. And you use the customer equity value framework to help evaluate this. Can you explain in layman's terms what this framework is? Yes. So I guess basically everybody uh, in marketing knows what customer lifetime value is, right? And that's just for the single customer. Uh, Customer equity value is basically aggregated to the firm level. So the value of your current and also future customers that you're attracting. That's that's basically the framework. The great thing about it is that it considers not only the market response of customers, but also costs of serving customers. That's why we found that as a very useful framework to use for our study, because customer satisfaction arguably leads to those customer relationships, right? Uh, mm. That then we can value with customer lifetime value and so on. So this is how they are kind of connected and and why they kind of feed into each other, these two measures, if you like. Yeah. One of the things I found interesting was the separation and discussion of the financial costs of customer service improvement efforts, as well as the resulting benefits yeah. of the customer service improvement efforts. I thought that was very interesting. And you specifically looked at three elements that contributed to the variability. Can you just bullet yeah. point those? That's buckets? right. Yeah. We thought, okay, what could cause that interesting variability, right? And that satisfaction performance relationship. And the first thing was what you already mentioned. Well, is there perhaps a certain trade-off that firms are facing between the benefits, such as like, like, let's say sales revenues that are increasing with a higher satisfaction and the costs of, you know, serving customers. So for instance, uh, if I'm a retailer and I start to employ um, higher qualified store personnel, I train them better or I I employ more personnel, right? That all of that can actually increase my operating costs. Mm. Uh, And and these are things that, that marketers not always probably <laughs> consider. <laughs> so it's, it's not it, their budget. <laughs> especially if you talk to the operations management people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, the operations management people will always say, oh, if marketers could finally also think about us and you know what it does to our KPIs and to our measures that we are looking at. Uh, because marketers will often look at the market response, I guess. And that's why we find it quite important to us look at 
The broader costs, we also said, okay, basically next to operating costs, you might also have to invest uh, such as fixed capital. So if we come back to that retailer example, firms will often refurbish their stores or will add more things that can enhance the experience, such as a cafe or something like that. And all of that will drive your fixed capital investments, right? Or you offer to customers um, something like a buy now, pay later that will increase your working capital investments because you have more customer credit, right? So these are things that we thought we have to look at as well. So that was one proposition. And then the other thing that we know is uh, within that benefit and cost trade-off is when we look at uh, consumer behavior uh, literature, it often shows that these market responses, such as that customers might be more loyal, that they buy more, that they might be also willing to pay more, these things are often non-constant. So you don't get necessarily a linear response. Sometimes it's accelerating. The more customers become delighted, the more they buy, for instance, or the more they engage in word of mouth. But uh, this was one thing. And the same thing for for operations uh, costs and for the operations management literature. So we thought, okay, these trade-offs between benefits and costs might actually change the more I, I improve customer satisfaction. So they might not be the same along the continuum. And that could actually explain the variability. So that was one one of the propositions that we make in the paper to try and explain that. The other one is that perhaps when I look at um, my satisfaction outcomes uh, across different times, so often we might look just at the short-term impact, but if we perhaps start measuring the impact a little bit um, longer down the track uh, to better understand what is actually sticky. So is, for instance, my customer loyalty or these kind of things, are these sticky things uh, with a market response stay with us and, and boost future performance for us? Or is it more short term, like let's say maybe advertising expenses that often tend to be, uh, or promotion expenses, something like that, tends to be more short term in nature. So these kind of questions were, were not asked and the same is true for the costs. We can imagine that with operating costs, we could already assume that perhaps if I employ more store personnel, for instance, that stays over time. Right. Uh, and, and, and then it's quite important to actually see how the market response develops because otherwise it's not really offset, right? These costs are not offset by that Correct. anymore. So that was the second proposition we made. And uh, the third one was that we also often have to look at the context that companies are operating in. And there was relatively little on that in the literature. And we thought, okay, we look at the marketing strategic context. Uh, we have different things that we can look at. We definitely don't want to be exhaustive in the paper, but we looked at the strategy of the firms, uh, certain offering characteristics, such as you know whether firms can customize, uh, because this is something that marketers often mm. uh, are very interested to get into to also to improve customer satisfaction and loyalty to mm. retain customers and bind them to the brand. So these kind of things, but also competition would be a factor. So we, we looked at these kind of contextual factors and said, okay, these might be changing our or have an effect on the benefits that we see and, and maybe also the costs where we just think about customization. This kind of thing can get expensive very quickly. Uh, so that's where we also looked at these contextual variables. Right. If we were to just punch through them, we're talking about adverse financial effects that accelerate the benefit costs, the trade-offs that 
programs fundamentally change the value creation and delivery activities and thus capital costs and needs, the stickiness yep. of the benefits and costs over time. And then lastly, the context strategy, offering characteristics, customer behavior, competitive landscape and customization, yep. differentiation, innovation, word of mouth and customizable, things like that. So when you were looking, how large was the data set and how long was the time frame that you looked at for your study? Yes, yeah, so we had a time frame of 15 years, so 2001 mm. to 2015, and we had approximately 104 firms in that kind of panel, right? Uh, and these firms were actually representing about 36 industries, mm. uh, so quite quite generalizable big data sets. So we had, in the end, uh, roughly 850 firm year observations that we could study there, so that there was quite a large data set. So pretty robust results. Before we dive into the nitty gritty, and I promise we will, how did you define the customer satisfaction level that was achieved? What makes something low, medium, or high? Yes. So basically, maybe some, some one thing that I need to say about that is because customer satisfaction is probably measured in, in a business practice quite often with the net promoter score. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, our, for our study, we use the American Customer Satisfaction Index, but I'm pretty sure that uh, because they measure the customer satisfaction for the largest consumer companies, so that these companies will know their scores and, and will also follow them quite mm-hmm. closely. And the good thing about these is they're uh, available on, on the uh, data uh, on the um, internet website of the American Customer Satisfaction Index, uh, so that's that's pretty good. They basically measure customer satisfaction based on you know cumulative satisfaction with the experience that customers share rate. So this is survey items, right? To what extent they confirm the expectations were confirmed, and also customers or, or, or respondents should imagine. Uh, an ideal product and then compare the product to that ideal product and then say, okay, how much does that match it? So this is how customer satisfaction is measured by the American Customer Satisfaction Index and underlying data that we have used here. Right. This podcast is a bit of a cheat, like skipping to the end of a mystery novel. We're going to jump to the end and talk about what you concluded and know that the important plot points and how you got there are in this published paper. So customer satisfaction, broadly speaking, the efforts businesses take in this regard when we aggregate customer experience and behavior um, following a firm's customer service improvement efforts, what do they achieve with regard to revenue and marketing costs? If we're just generalizing it, so so that that actually looks pretty good. <laughs> so uh, in, in terms of uh, revenue, uh, it's actually looking like uh, as soon as you're beyond the medium kind of satisfaction, and and in our sample that was uh, so the satisfaction score was measured measured from one to one hundred, and our sample that was pretty high at. Uh, approximately 75, 76. Uh, that was medium level already, so the mid 70s. So as soon as you're beyond that, uh, you actually have accelerating revenue effects uh, of improving your customer satisfaction beyond that level. The other thing that is pretty good news for marketers is marketing and acquisition costs, but that's something that that we probably already uh, expected to some extent. They are uh, savings, and these costs are also. Accelerating and and that's really good. But then when we look at uh, the operating costs, uh, we see that they are actually improving 
to up to medium levels, uh, and that is that is good news. But as as soon as you're beyond those medium that seventy five, then it's actually uh, decreasing very sharply your gross gross profit margins. Mm. So that is. Uh, Bad something news. to keep an eye on. <laughs> yes, right that there. is definitely something to keep an eye on. Then for the capital investments, you can have some savings and working capital investments up to the medium level. So if you're coming from low levels, if you're catching up in your satisfaction, then you can improve improve that a little bit. But then can, they can also I just accelerate. Jump in? I, I, yeah. If I'm yeah. if I'm a firm that's playing catch up, I didn't have as great a profile yeah. going in. I put these efforts in. Will I see that same strength? straight line linkage as the people who are ahead of me or not so much? Uh, this is really a good question. It is actually something that uh, could could be uh, future research to really mm. look into what happens uh, for, for a company that is just catching up. Uh, but we would say that you can use these general levels that you, that you can see that you can at least from there predict what will happen uh, mm. to your to your capital investments, your gross profit budget and so on. So you can take your current uh, customer satisfaction level and then can can use these predictions and these plot charts uh, that we've made uh, to, to predict for yourself what will happen. Uh, but we, we didn't really... Um, made a study where we considered specifically, let's say for a company, their specific um, uh, competitors. Mm -hmm. uh, so the most likely competitors and then what happens, you know, studying it in a more dynamic way, what happens if I catch up for, for a moment or if I was a leader and then I start actually uh, to lose in satisfaction or I'm overtaken by somebody else, what will happen? Uh, will I directly see Perhaps a drop in, in my revenue, for instance. So all these benefits, do they do they uh, linger still a bit, or will that very quickly drop? These are questions we can't answer at the moment, uh, but it's very very interesting, definitely for future research to to look in that into that in more detail. The idea of delighting customers. There's been some concern that you can't please everyone, and the impact of a disgruntled, you know, that you've you've not delighted me with your attempt to delight can outweigh the benefits of those who are delighted. Is is it true or should we should businesses lean into that delight? Uh, I think businesses should to some extent actually say we need to delight our customers um, because uh, we we actually see for instance for the revenues if you're really just below the medium uh, satisfaction score so you're you're not quite at the expected level you could say right mm. uh, then then you're actually not really gaining that much because you're just we, we actually found in the revenue uh, there's a there's a zone of indifference so to say mm. so you you don't actually you can maybe defend your your revenue uh, that you have but you can't grow it based on improvements so you really have to actually go on um, more into that higher end so you have to go beyond the medium levels to actually have a real effect so this is this is the funny thing here so we actually say if you really want to have some some boost here, uh, you need to invest into into your satisfaction. So I guess for managers, the the big question will be: Okay, how can I do that when knowing? Okay, my gross profit margin will probably uh, suffer a bit, and I will have to invest more into working capital, fixed capital. How can I do that? And probably some ways could 
be to try and buffer these effects, for instance, or the gross profit margin by trying to improve other costs. Managers could also try and, and, and look into, you know, what are perhaps the aspects of the product or service that are most valued by our customers and, and rather focus on improving them to improve customer satisfaction and then selectively others maybe cutting a bit back, maybe using control analysis or these kind of tools to better understand that. They could also try to use technology to save costs, costs such as in a service uh, setting, using self-service terminals or these kind of things. Looking into the pricing, value-based pricing that more follows uh, customer satisfaction improvements to compensate for the operating expense increases and, and investments or trying and, and maybe relying a bit on the goodwill of customers for instance, by saying maybe we we could also have an early pay option, right? Right. <laughs> so they so you, something like that. If I'm going to back up, it, it what it sounds like I'm hearing is delighting is important. So you actually don't want to do it by half measures to get the bang for your buck. Yes. You need to lean into it. However, with the caveat, you are liable to see problems with your gross uh, margins unless, as you're leaning into that delight, you also say where can we trim these operating costs. You need to be you need yeah. to partner with, if you're a marketer, you need to partner with the operations folks to figure out how to tighten tighten yeah. elsewhere so you can get this benefit. And, and also, if we're thinking about context, your competitors are doing this. So it's not happening in a, vol- in a vacuum, right? And that's yeah. important, I would imagine. If I work at a firm that has a strategy built around differentiation, do my customer satisfaction efforts have better payoff than somebody who isn't into differentiation if that's not part of their brand value proposition for their customers? Yeah. Uh, So we found that actually for those uh, that are differentiators, they have significant savings and marketing acquisition costs, whereas interestingly, those that are weak differentiators, so that maybe are competing more on price and these kind of things, uh, uh, these uh, cost savings, at least in marketing acquisition costs, were insignificant. So that that was quite interesting for so differentiation seems to be quite important for 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 these kind of measures or to to get these kind of benefits out. We also assumed that a little bit because there was some research that showed that you know these positive behavioral responses to customer satisfaction, such as word of mouth, are more likely for emotional values, such as, you know, brands uh, that, that well, brands can can kind of deliver. Was it defined at the product level or the larger corporate brand level? For instance, Apple, who has a a brand and, you know, their, their stores are super customer service oriented, but maybe the product itself is pretty rigid and not differentiated. I mean, you know, so is... Is it to do with in the mind of the consumer, the brand family, the brand is differentiated. So part of what I expect is this customer service. So I respond to it versus something where it's more of a utility brand for me. Is, is yes. that part of it? Okay. Yes, that is part of it. Exactly. So the utility brand won't really necessarily uh, be that strong in, in eliciting 
these kind of positive responses, such as, you know, that I go and, and, and talk to other people about it and so on. So I, I probably also need to be a little bit more kind of excited about the brand. And this is probably right. easier with differentiators. I feel like some of these things, differentiation, customization, word of yes. mouth, they're all synergistic, yes. it seems like. And so if they're combined, does the impact increase? Are all these factors equally important or is one aspect more relevant than the others? I guess it is for, for each company, uh, managers will look at this and say, okay, I'm a differentiator, but I might also have a, you know, maybe a product that has good word of mouth potential. Uh, we said word of mouth potential is high for products, you know, mm. uh, where people actually, which, which people consume maybe publicly, where they might also be asked uh, by others about the product, like let's say a sports shoe or something like that when mm. I'm wearing this or when you know, knowledgeable about and excited about the talk. So it could be that uh, managers actually say, okay, we fall into uh, several of these categories and, and then they can look at the results and, and try and uh, summarize them. Basically, uh, if you're a differentiator and you have high word of mouth potential, you will have stronger, stronger benefits. Mm. But you will also encounter stronger costs. So, especially for higher word of mouth potential, right. you will see, you know, that gross margin declines more sharply, and you also your working capital investments accelerate more sharply, which makes sense. Well, one of the things I was wondering, and this isn't something that's explicitly discussed in the article, but I was curious yeah. as to your thoughts. In pricing, the pricing ecosystem matters. If competitors price poorly, then everyone can suffer. And I would think that uh, customer satisfaction, consumer satisfaction might create a similar environmental expectation. So if the bar is set at a certain level, then everyone is striving for it. Like for example, Amazon and the digital retail experience or Netflix and Spotify for user experience, you know, that, that they set a baseline, people get used to it. And so then, you know, like it or not, you, you have, that's the baseline. And so if they raise it pretty high, yes. that can be challenging. <laughs> It is, it is, I think this is uh, really the next thing because when we looked at the assessment horizons, right, when we looked mm -hmm. at how sticky these effects are, right. we actually, that was the next bummer for, for the, for the marketing people actually, because <laughs> <laughs> we found it's that. The arms race of customer satisfaction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, because we found that actually the sales revenue gains from customer satisfaction improvements are only realized in the short term oh. and also the marketing and acquisition cost savings leveled off after some time. Well, same for fixed capital investments. That also makes sense, right? I invest once and then it's fine. But the gross profit margin effects were highly sticky and mm. systematic over time. So this is the one thing that will stay with us. So I think it fits into that picture that you were just drawing that, you know, there's almost a competition on based on customer satisfaction. And at some point, everyone is trying to, to maybe use the same activities to improve satisfaction and, and people become accustomed to it. And then this is maybe why we see uh, that sales revenue mm -hmm. gains, for instance, will, will relatively, will be relatively short term. Right. Well, I suppose if you don't, if you don't keep it up though, you're going to start seeing them um, degrade. Yes. Would be the guess. So if I'm a listener and I work at a brand and I'm looking at customer satisfaction improvement efforts, what are the headlines that I should take away? What should I lean into and what should I evaluate more closely? 
So you're probably a bit uh, caught in the game as we as we just established. Yeah, right? it sounds so like you, a you, rock and hard place. Feels very yes. <laughs> very where I am. Yeah, so you you can't probably just fall back on 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 medium or beyond medium levels because then you really will probably see your if this is what you can see you will see your revenues and and your savings in, in market acquisition costs level off and and. So this is already something where you don't want to end up. And I guess customers, when they are asked about your their, their satisfaction with your product, they will always uh, also evaluate compared to competitors. Mm. So you can't really get out of this. You always have to look at what your competitors are doing. So now you have some, some good overview of what is going to happen in terms of what might be benefits, but what might also be the costs and especially the operating costs. I think they stand out as problematic. So here, I think this is really something to keep an eye on and, and to really, like we said earlier, to work perhaps uh, with the operations management people to think about, okay, how can we do that? But perhaps also with market research, uh, trying mm. to, to do things like a conjoint analysis, trying to find out, okay, what are really the things that customers value the mm. most? You know, uh, when you look at airlines, uh, what, what they do in terms of customer satisfaction from free drinks to uh, free luggage and, and uh, free Wi-Fi and what's on, whatnot. Uh, I think uh, here it could be quite interesting to see, okay, what are the, the, the elements that we can keep? I have to pay for my extra bag, but you better have Wi-Fi for me. I mean, it's, exactly. it's, it's, it's interesting. Well, it yeah. sounds like I should, if I'm at this, I'm at this mythical brand, I should be preemptively looking at costs and, and cost containment. And you mentioned customer service underperformance trap. And that sounds like because, you know, the CFO and the operations people are listening to this podcast, sharpening their pencils and saying, whoa, no, no, no. So what is the <laughs> customer service underperformance trap? Can you define what it is? And yeah. then how, if I'm in marketing, I defend myself in this conversation with the money people. So we found that actually there was a group of companies in our sample that were had a quite a sticky status in the below the median customer satisfaction levels. And it, it can become a trap because it looks like from our results, uh, you know, when you take the revenues, for instance, that are a, where you still see that zone of indifference for quite some while, quite a while when you start catching up and, and you don't really see any improvements in revenues. It can actually look like if you try and improve uh, your satisfaction as if nothing is happening and you would see the gross profit margin improve actually, but some other things don't improve and we can just speculate why that is, why some companies are quite sticky in there, but it might be that the finance people actually say, okay, here are certain things that we are looking at and that we always have to report to to the financial market that if we're mm -hmm. measured against, right, they don't improve directly. So here our results might actually help firms to, or, or marketers actually, to argue, okay, but we have to go beyond these medium uh, levels ah. to actually really see an improvement. To get the payoff. You need to get to the payoff. Exactly. Right. Because otherwise we, we don't really need to. Uh, Why bother? If you're yeah, not going to get Exactly. You just, you guess. That's so interesting. And I'm sure everyone listening will have found this conversation really valuable. And obviously there are more nuances and details in the paper. And we're going to have on the webpage, a link to the paper. Thank you so much. Thanks. <laughs> it was great uh, that you had me here. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. And I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend, Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here.
on up next.